In your Bibles this evening, congregation, we would invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 11. We'll be reading from verse 23 through verse 34 in your pew Bible. You can find this on page 1320. After we read from the Word of God, we'll then turn to the Belgic Confession, Article 35, and you and your Forms and Prayers book can find that on page 193. We read first from the inspired Word of God as it's found this evening in 1 Corinthians 11, beginning at verse 23, reading through verse 34. Hear now together the Word of God. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself... And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, Wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. We then turn to Article 35, a very lengthy article given the historic debate surrounding the Lord's Supper in the composition of the Belgic Confession. It's entitled, The Sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We believe and confess that our Savior Jesus Christ has ordained and instituted the sacrament of the Holy Supper to nourish and sustain those who are already born again and engrafted into his family, his church. Now those who are born again have two lives in them. The one is physical and temporal. They have it from the moment of their first birth, and it is common to all. The other is spiritual and heavenly and is given them in their second birth. It comes through the word of the gospel in the communion of the body of Christ, and this life is common to God's elect only. Thus, to support the physical and earthly life, God has prescribed for us an appropriate earthly and material bread, which is common to all as life itself also is. But to maintain the spiritual and heavenly life that belongs to believers, he has sent a living bread that came down from heaven, namely Jesus Christ who nourishes and maintains the spiritual life of believers when eaten, that is, when appropriated and received spiritually by faith. To represent to us this spiritual and heavenly bread, Christ has instituted an earthly and visible bread as the sacrament of his body and wine as the sacrament of his blood. He did this to testify to us that just as truly as we take and hold the sacraments in our hands and eat and drink it in our mouths, by which our life is then sustained, so truly we receive into our souls for our spiritual life the true body 
and true blood of Christ, our only Savior, we receive these by faith, which is the hand and mouth of our souls. Now it is certain that Jesus Christ did not prescribe his sacraments for us in vain, since he works in us all he represents by these holy signs, although the manner in which he does it goes beyond our understanding and is incomprehensible to us, just as the operation of God's Spirit is hidden and incomprehensible. Yet we do not go wrong when we say that what is eaten is Christ's own natural body, and what is drunk is his own blood. But the manner in which we eat it is not by the mouth, but by the Spirit through faith. In that way, Jesus Christ remains always seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. But he never refrains on that account to communicate himself to us through faith. This banquet is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates himself to us with all his benefits. At that table, he makes us enjoy himself as much as the merits of his suffering and death, as he nourishes, strengthens, and comforts our poor, desolate souls by the eating of his flesh, and relieves and renews them by the drinking of his blood. Moreover, though the sacraments and the things signified are joined together, not all receive both of them. The wicked person certainly takes the sacrament to his condemnation, but he does not receive the truth of the sacrament, just as Judas and Simon the sorcerer both indeed receive the sacrament, but not Christ, who is signified by it. He is communicated only to believers. Finally, with humility and reverence, we receive the holy sacrament and the gathering of God's people as we engage together with thanksgiving and a holy remembrance of the death of Christ our Savior, and as we thus confess our faith and Christian religion. Therefore, no one should come to this table without examining himself carefully, lest by eating this bread and drinking this cup he eat and drink to his own judgment. In short, by the use of this holy sacrament, we are moved to a fervent love of God and our neighbors. Therefore, we reject as desecrations of the sacraments, all the muddled ideas and damnable inventions that men have added and mixed in with them. And we say that we should be content with the procedure that Christ and the apostles have taught us, and speak of these things as they have spoken of them. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, nearly all of us know, at least in theory, if not in practice, uh, that a proper diet is vital and crucial to our health. I say nearly all of us know that in theory. I suppose the infants, although they already have an instinctive recognition that they need the proper nutrients for their life. Uh, perhaps you, you look at some of the dietary practices of our young people especially perhaps teenage boys, and you think, well, we're not exactly sure if they understand uh, the proper dietary needs, and yet instinctively their bodies tell them also as they eat seamlessly endless amounts of food that they need those nutrients, those calories to sustain their activity. As we grow and as we mature, uh, we hope that we come to a greater understanding uh, of how our bodies need the proper nutrients and balance uh, for our well-being. I say we understand that in theory and to a certain extent in practice as it regards our physical life, but it's also 
equally, if not even, and we would argue that it is even more important for us to understand the relationship to a proper diet and proper spiritual health in regards to our spiritual life. God has created us with a body and with a soul. The body is to be valued. The body is to be cared for. The body also is redeemed by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the soul, the soul must be cared for. Your soul, my soul, must be nourished and refreshed Nourished and refreshed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Nourished and refreshed through the avenues of ministry, what we often call the means of grace, including the preaching of the Word and the sacraments. And so what we want to do tonight is not exhaustively cover all of the material in Article 35 of our Belgic Confession, nor all of the scriptural passages that we have read from 1 Corinthians, uh, but to focus on the sacrament of the Lord's Supper as the means for spiritual nourishment. We want to do that underneath this theme, our belief concerning the Lord's Supper. Noticing, first of all, the purpose of the Lord's Supper, then secondly, the administration of the Lord's Supper, and then thirdly, the reception of the Lord's Supper. So our belief concerning the Lord's Supper, also called communion, The purpose, first of all, then the administration, and then thirdly, the reception. The first thing that we want to say, somewhat by way of review and reminder, is when we talk about the purpose of the Lord's Supper, we have to understand the purpose of the Lord's Supper as the Lord's Supper has been instituted or put in place or put in practice by Jesus Christ himself. Perhaps you caught that reference that Guido de Bray put in the Belgic Confession Uh, what we now translate uh, as these muddled ideas and damnable inventions that men have added and mixed in uh, with the proper procedures, if you want to call it, for the administration of the Lord's Supper. And there's always this danger uh, that men come with their muddled ideas and their damnable inventions when it comes to the ordinances of God and the church. And so we remind ourselves of a truth that we dare never forget, that what we do in our church services and with the administration of the Lord's Supper, we must do in line with what Christ has commanded. And Christ has instituted this sacrament by setting apart, by way of His authority, common elements of bread and of wine, the staple dietary elements of His culture and of His day. Uh, Hardly a day would have gone by, boys and girls, if you were living in the New Testament times, hardly a day would have gone by uh, in which bread was not served. Uh, And maybe the the Dutch people, of which many of us are, maybe we say, well, some things never change. Hardly a day should go by without uh, a good dose of bread and of carbs, we say. Now, the the wine, perhaps, perhaps there we grow a little bit more cautious, but wine was simply the standard a drink of the day, given unsanitary conditions and given a variety of bacteria that would have been in the water and given the fermenting process and how that offsets the bacteria, wine uh, would not have been used primarily uh, to engage in drunk intoxication, but rather simply uh, as a refreshing drink, a safe, refreshing drink. So Christ, in a wonderful simplicity, 
sets apart in the administration of the Lord's Supper these common everyday elements to serve a spiritual purpose. And we just want to be reminded when we consider the institution of the Lord's Supper by Christ, how simple it is. And you see, what men often do, and we use men generically here to refer to persons of of both sex or genders, male and female, what, what people often do is they take something that is so simple as instituted by Christ, and they muddle it by making it something very, very complex. And by bringing in additions, inventions, novelties, the beautiful simplicity of what Christ has instituted in the church is often eclipsed with the ideas and the inventions of men. And so we thank God that the Protestant Reformation recommitted itself to what we might call an apostolic simplicity, and we remind ourselves of the importance and the necessity of maintaining that apostolic simplicity uh, when it comes to the means of grace, the life of the church, but also especially uh, the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Uh, So the Lord's Supper is instituted by Christ, and it points to Christ. This do in remembrance of me. That's what Jesus Christ himself says, not in remembrance of the the person administering the Lord's Supper, not in remembrance uh, of the minister of the Word and sacrament, but in remembrance of the person, the mediatorial person of Jesus Christ and of his redemptive work. And so here also the focus in the administration of the Lord's Supper must continually be upon the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And congregation, let me just simply say this, when he is in the central focus of our heart's desire, then everything else and everyone else is put into their proper position. This do in remembrance of me. Instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ, for the nourishment of our faith. Our confession goes quite in depth, explaining that for the Christian, the Christian has really two lives. They have, yes, the physical life of the body, which is common to all human beings, but also the Christian has spiritual life. This spiritual life is not common to all the members of the human race. And in fact, this spiritual life is very particular only to the elect of God, only to those who have been chosen by God, only to those who have been given the new birth, regeneration, only to those who have passed from death to life. So the Lord's Supper is not a common meal for all the members of the human race, but is a very particular, you might say, family meal for those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ with a mature, active exercise of faith. And now we we have to restrain ourselves because time does not allow, nor does the content allow us to go into an in-depth explanation of the nature of regeneration, but as a congregation, we must continually be theologically astute when it comes to these doctrinal truths. Remember perhaps Nicodemus, a teacher in Israel, but ignorant of the nature of the new birth. And Jesus said, 
How is it that you, a teacher in Israel, do not understand these things? No one can even see, perceive, understand, much less enter into the kingdom of God unless that person is born again. And that's why, of course, our baptism form emphasizes this also. We believe that our children are conceived and born in sin. That they are subject to all manner of misery, even to condemnation itself, unless they are born again. But when a person is born again, when there is life, when there is healthy, mature life, that will produce, it produces a spiritual appetite, a spiritual appetite for the means of grace. Just as I'm sure if you were to go uh, for your annual checkup uh, to your primary care physician, and, and as he or she went through those long list of diagnostic questions which they ask you, if they would have asked you how your appetite is, and if you said, you know what, I'm never ever hungry. Nothing ever sounds good. I never ever eat. I am sure that the doctor's eyes would immediately come up off of their screen or off of their paperwork, and they would look at you with concern, and they would say, you don't have any appetite? And so we also say the same thing spiritually. How is your appetite? Do you desire the Word of God? Do you desire the sacraments? And if you say, ah, I can take it or leave it, then I humbly but also earnestly say to you, something is not right. If there's not a healthy appetite for the Word of God and for the sacraments, something is not right. Because the Christian has two lives, the physical life of the body, but also the spiritual life of the soul. And for the maintenance of the life of the soul, God has been pleased to give the preaching of the Word and the administration of the sacraments. That is the purpose. Well, how then do we observe this sacrament of the Lord's Supper? That brings us into our second point, the administration of the Lord's Supper. And we notice that we observe it uh, through sacramental actions, but also by the way of a spiritual mystery. Sacramental actions. There are some particulars that are left up to the common sanctified wisdom uh, of the local leadership. Uh, There's much debate, and I suppose it can be profitable in the the right context. There's much debate on the frequency of the administration of the Lord's Supper. Uh, Many in our tradition have advocated for quarterly. Those of the more uh, ancient Presbyterian tradition they had in Scotland, for example, their communion seasons, which were restricted primarily to once a year although perhaps with multiple administrations of the Lord's Supper during that one season. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you might say there are those who advocate for weekly communion, and pros and cons can be given. Uh, We simply note that in the apostolic simplicity, there's not a clear command. This do as often as you do it. And so it's left up to the common sanctified wisdom, not of individual persons, but of the collective leadership uh, of a local particular congregation. 
But there are some non-negotiables with the administration of the Lord's Supper. And we find them in the example of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And it's repeated by the Apostle Paul. And so there's this dual emphasis. And we just want to note, maybe this is for our encouragement. You know, sometimes we think about the apostolic simplicity and purity of the New Testament age, and maybe we think, well, everything was good in the church back in those days. But to say it bluntly, the Corinthian church was a mess. It was divided into at least four factions. There were followers of Paul, there were followers of Apollos, there were followers of Peter, and there were followers, so they claimed, of Jesus. And they all had their favorite. And in addition, there there was sexual immorality in the Corinthian church, gross sexual immorality. And apparently there was all sorts of confusion when it came to the reception of the Lord's Supper, including drunkenness uh, and perhaps gluttony. Now, we don't say this to excuse the Corinthian church, but to remind ourselves that on this side of glory, we're always part of the militant church. And yet, Paul, speaking as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, writes to this church as a church, as the people of God. A dysfunctional family, you may say, sure, but the family of God. But he wants to set some things in order, especially in regards to the administration, the reception of the Lord's Supper. And so you notice that there are some essential actions. Uh, The essential action first is that the sacraments are to be administered in the corporate worship service. The sacraments are to be administered in the corporate worship service when we come together. We say this in light of the common danger of individualism. And I believe that this common danger of individualism is heightened perhaps by the invention and the use of technology, which can be a wonderful thing but also can be a devastating thing. It's interesting, at least I find it interesting, that even the secular statistics are telling us uh, that, yes, indeed, communication has never been easier, and yet the people have never been lonelier. And so the Apostle Paul's exhortation, when you come together, is echoed by our Belgic confession that the administration of the Lord's Supper is to take place in the corporate worship service in connection with the preaching of the Word because faith comes by the hearing of the Word. And now the exercise of that faith is supported and is encouraged and is fed by the sacraments, but faith comes by the Word. This is crystal clear in Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And I just want to remind ourselves, and I continually examine myself, uh, that an emphasis upon the faithful attendance to the preaching of the Word is not for the preacher's ego. But the reasons that at times we are so emphatic on attendance to the preaching of the Word is because Faith comes by the hearing of the Word. Just like I'm sure every 
good and faithful parent. If your child skipped a couple of meals in a row, you would say, Johnny, this can't happen again. Or Sally, this can't happen again. And now I know there are exceptions, but I also know uh, that in most homes, I say there are exceptions because there are those meals which seem to be struck by chaos. But for the most part, moms and dads, you don't allow your, your children to grab a meal whenever and eat wherever. At least I hope that's not the common practice. But you come together. As we go forward as a congregation, in what many cultural experts are identifying as a postmodern but also a post-Christian culture, we need to emphasize these sacramental actions are to be received in the assembly of the corporate worship service, if at all feasible. And when the sacrament is administered, it is to include the breaking of the bread because this is sacramental action that appeals to our senses. So Jesus Christ, he took and he broke bread, symbolizing or, or setting forth for us the breaking of his own body underneath the curse of sin upon the cross of Calvary. And then uh, the reciting, the giving of the elements and the reciting of the words of institution, but also note the importance of the personal appropriating of the elements, the actual taking and eating of the bread and the actual uh, drinking of the cup. Because as uh, one elder reminded my own family and family visitation Thursday night with words, I, I don't know that I'll ever forget them as long as I have something of my senses. There is a world of difference between just being interested in Christ and being in Christ. So we don't just watch the cup pass and go, hmm, interesting. We don't just behold the bread with our eyes and say, oh, I wonder what kind of bread that is. Is it gluten-free or is it not gluten-free? Is it this or is it that? But we actually take if we have a mature faith. We eat, we drink, because we understand that the benefits of Christ are only to those who are in Christ. And so there is also a continual call to examine ourselves. Uh, but that we'll consider in just a moment because we need to deal with the spiritual mystery. When we eat and when we drink, when we take the bread, when we take the wine, what happens? And the elders can testify that when we ask questions to those who come and make profession of faith, I always include this question or something along the lines of it. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, is Christ present? And I, and I try to, to teach and, yes, indoctrinate our young people to say, yes, He is present. And then I have a follow-up question and I say, how is He present? And I teach them to say, spiritually. And then the third question is, can you explain that? No, but I believe it. And that's the spiritual mystery. Christ is really present. The bread remains bread, set apart for a sacramental purpose. The wine remains wine, set apart for a sacramental purpose. But congregation, we need to understand that Christ is really present. Now, we're, we're, we're sensible creatures, but he is really present. How transformative would this be 
to our life as a congregation. If we understood that in a very real way, and not just in the general way of the omnipresence of God, but if we really understood when the Christian church gathers together for corporate worship, and especially then when the sacrament is administered, Christ is really present in His glorious person, in His completed work. Why is it that the psalmist can say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord, because he understood that there, there the covenant Lord dwelt. Now the mystery is underneath the work of the Holy Spirit, so that by faith, As the hand holds the bread and as the mouth receives the bread, the Holy Spirit ministers Christ to the Christian. And as the hand holds the cup of wine and as the mouth receives the cup of wine, the soul through the mouth of faith receives Christ by the mysterious operation, but nevertheless the true operation of the Holy Spirit. So all of the inventions and the ideas of transubstantiation and consubstantiation are to be rejected as the muddled ideas of men. But we do believe that Christ is present when the sacrament is administered faithfully. Well, how then, or who then, rather, are to receive the Lord's Supper. Uh, That's in our third point. And and here also, congregation, we tread upon holy ground. And, and, And there ought to be a certain sense of fear and trembling when we consider the question, who ought to receive the Lord's Supper? Because there is an improper reception. The improper reception can be one of two different ways. The improper reception of the Lord's Supper can be a result of the muddled additions and inventions of humanity. But it can also be because of the unworthy partaking. I want to be pastorally clear here. Unworthy partakers are not those persons who have weak faith. I say this because I grew up in a context in which there were many, many, many a person so filled with introspection and the recognition of the weaknesses of their own faith that they dared not come to the Lord's Supper. And it's sad. I mean, imagine your child in the other room listening to the growls of his stomach and saying, I think I'm too hungry to come for dinner. Wouldn't you say, that's exactly why I made you dinner. That growling in your stomach, that's your appetite. That's proof that you need dinner. Come, eat, be filled. The improper recipient is not the person who has weak faith. The improper recipient is the person who does not have faith. The carnal professor, 
And there is a difference between professing Christ and possessing Christ. Judas, as we commonly know him, Judas, the one who betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, Judas Iscariot, I mean, he was right in the thick of the disciples. There, there, there he is walking with the other 11. There he is in the boat with the other 11. There he is on the mountainside with the other 11. In fact, he even has a place of prestige among the 12. He was, in one way or another, nominated as what we would call an officer. Well, he's the treasurer of all things. And if we would have seen the 12 following our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I mean, we perhaps would have looked at them and said, oh yeah, Peter, brash. Mouth is always ahead of his head. Thomas, he's always doubting, although I don't think that's quite a fair assessment of Thomas. James and John, you know, they got their mother. She's always wanting a place on the right and on the left, places of prominence. We may have looked and said, look at Judas, faithful, entrusted with the money bag. Oh, he possessed nothing of Christ, even though he professed much. You can think also of Simon the sorcerer. He desired the gift of the Holy Spirit, but for improper reasons. You know, in the church growth movement, Simon the sorcerer would have been brought right to the front. We've got a man who desires the gifts of the Spirit, but his heart wasn't in it. Are we to believe that these were only realities in the New Testament church? Of Paul's day? Are there still those in the church today who are only professors and not possessors? Well, to them, the warning is if you partake of the Lord's Supper, you receive bread, you receive wine, but apart from faith, you do not receive Christ you receive added condemnation. And so it's a fearful thing to boldly, without solid grounds, receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Notice what Paul says. If you look in verse 30 of our text, for this reason, for what reason? Because there was this unworthy participation not discerning the Lord's body, because there were all sorts of divisions and all sorts of immorality and all sorts of abuses in the Corinthian church. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. A phrase that refers to death itself. And in our day and in our age, we've pretty much lost the whole idea of a corporate solidarity. But you can think of this also in the Old Testament. Uh, think of Achan's sin. Maybe you remember, boys and girls, of Achan. And, and he took some, some loot home from a, from a battle that he wasn't supposed to. He hid it in the, underneath the ground in his tent. And the displeasure of the Lord was turned upon the entire camp of Israel. 
because of Achan's sin. And so also in the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church experienced the displeasure of their God because of immorality, because of division, because of disorderliness. And Paul says, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. And that puts the emphasis upon self-examination. Examine yourself. Now, I have to admit, it's much easier to examine others. And I've been reminded of that through a couple of different events in the week gone past. It's much easier for us to examine others to see whether they, according to our estimation, are in the faith. Others perhaps being persons of other congregations. Others perhaps being persons of other denominations. Or maybe others being persons in other pews. It's so much easier to examine others and to find them wanting. But the Apostle Paul doesn't say, now examine others, but examine yourself. Well, what are we to look for? The evidences of faith. And what are the evidences of faith? Love. Love towards God and love towards our neighbor. This is the evidence that we have a healthy spiritual appetite. This is the evidence that must be there if there is to be a proper reception. You might say that we must examine ourselves if we have that knowledge that we speak of in reference to the Heidelberg Catechism. What three things must I know? To live and die in the joy of this comfort, three things. First, how great my sin and misery. My. Not the other people. Not the neighbor, the co-worker, the extended family member. My. But of course it doesn't stop there. How I am delivered. And how I am to show forth thankfulness to God for all of his benefits in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So that then we come to the Lord's Supper and we receive it with a humble and also mature faith. We just emphasize the maturity of faith, not the perfection of faith. This is why we believe, and rightfully so based upon the testimony of Scripture itself, that there must be a certain maturity to the faith prior to the reception of the Lord's Supper. This is not denying that infants and young people can have true faith. It's just simply saying that there must be a certain maturity of that faith so that they can discern the body. So there must be the profession of faith. The profession of a true faith, albeit the profession of a weak and imperfect faith. It's for those persons especially that the Lord's Supper is instituted. Uh, let us then rightly understand these things, but then also understanding these things, let us rightly use these things for the well-being of our soul and for the glory of our God. Amen. 
Our Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your paternal care for us, that you know our weaknesses and that you do not overly chastise us for our weaknesses of faith, but that you have instituted the Lord's Supper. Uh, Father, for this congregation, our prayer is that we might rightly understand this beautiful gift that Christ has given unto us, that we might properly use it, administering it according to his commands, and also receiving it uh, according to the exercise of true, sincere faith. Uh, Father, we ask for your blessing upon this day's activities. Uh, we pray that you would grant us rest and safety upon our homeward way. And watch over us through the week that lies ahead. Uh, keep us from physical harm and from danger, but also keep us especially from spiritual temptation. May we not be the cause of your name being blasphemed, but may we bring honor and praise to you in all that we think, all that we say, and all that we do. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.